0: Welcome to the Lagan Valley Vineyard podcast. We are a community passionate about seeing Lagan Valley filled with the presence and the teachings of Jesus. If you would like to connect with us or if we can help you in any way, please visit our website, lagonvalleyvineyard.com. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Great to see you all. You're all so welcome. Minutes before he died, Seamus Heaney sent a text message to his wife. The message was two words written in Latin, "Noli Tamare, which translated into English reads, do not be afraid. Brand Johnson wakes up every morning at 4.30 a.m. and he's at all of his meals, mostly made up of broccoli, mushrooms, and wild garlic by 11 a.m., Over the course of his day, the 46-year-old venture capitalist and entrepreneur will take over 100 pills. He will follow a strict exercise regime, sticking to an exhaustive list of do's and don'ts. He will often use high-intensity electric machines to strengthen his muscles, and he will often bathe his body under high-volume LED light. Everything he does is measured and it is tracked. And he has also been known to have taken blood transfusions to take in the plasma of his 17-year-old son. And he goes to bed at 8.30 p.m. every evening. Johnson's life is designed like an algorithm, a $2 million a year algorithm. And why? Well, at the very least, he is trying to reverse his age The 46-year-old now has the heart of a 37-year-old, but Johnson, he longs for more. His deepest desire is to defy death, to escape mortality, to live forever. Last week, Andy opened up our new teaching series, Living in the Shadows, and throughout the six Sundays in Lent, he and I will be teaching into the hope that we have as followers of Jesus in the face of physical death. We believe that it is wise, necessary even for us to open up this conversation because the reality is to be human is to live and to be human is to die. And as Andy so helpfully taught us last week, physical death, it is inevitable, life is precarious and at some point in all of our lives, we will be obliterated by loss and by great grief. In the imagination of the psalmists, we all at times will find ourselves journeying through the valley of the shadow of death, and yet, even there, especially there, we can find ourselves living under another shadow, the shadow of the Almighty, where we, protected, comforted, and unafraid, can nestle under the shadow of the Father's wings. Today, I want to talk about hope because today I want to invite us to consider our futures, because as if we heard last week, if physical death is inevitable, the next question is, well, what then happens next? And we don't go there very often, right? Partly, I think that's because we live here, for 30-odd years, families would have sat down in the evening to watch news that was full of death and dying. And unable to close our eyes and make it go away, we just did the Northern Irish thing. We just kept our heads down, just poured through, and did the thing that was right in front of us. That kind of approach, it would have formed families, but man, it also shaped the society. But we also live in a land where even our lampposts lecture us, Right? A short drive from here out the country would convict the hell out of you. And yet, as a product of this place, as someone who grew up through the church from his earliest days, I found, and I am finding, that my understanding of what happens beyond physical death, the teachings I received, man, they were so often narrow and flimsy and fragile compared to the actual teachings that are contained in this book. and So it's our desire in these next few weeks in the run into Easter that we would be able to lift our heads, to look into the future, to see what the Bible truly has to say about the hope that is set before us. And not just what our culture tells us or what our religious upbringing has taught us through the years. Because as we do, we will come to see that hope the hope of life eternal. It can be both our compass and our destination. For Johnson, as he continues to push the boundaries of life extension, he would say that hope, the hope of living forever, it is just around the corner. Brian Johnson said these words a few years ago in an interview. "We are baby steps away from creating the most extraordinary event in the entire galaxy, and it happens to be in the very moment we are alive. I would not miss admissions to this show for anything. Bless him, truly bless him. But for those of us who are in Christ, we just disagree because for us, The most extraordinary event in the entire galaxy happened on the first day of the week, in the early hours of the morning, as several women carrying spices travelled to the tomb of their friend, only to find that the stone was rolled away, and to find two men beaming with light asking them the question, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, he is risen. The resurrection of Jesus has changed everything. Our hope is not found in age reversal or life extension, but in life eternal with Christ. Or as we read in Romans 6, For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Notice the word certainly. Because of the resurrection, we can become the kind of people who in facing our own physical death can own for ourselves and can offer those we love the words, the heart cry, the new birth cry, no tamare," do not be afraid. Today I want to talk about what the writers of the New Testament say about our future. I want to walk us through it. I want to walk us through what happens to us beyond physical death. But before I do that, I just want to say a couple of things. Uh, Number one, because of the time that we have this morning, I am, or actually, sorry, this afternoon, I am barely scratching the surface here. It is crazy how little of the surface I'm scratching, but we're delighted to have Ben Blackwell with us this evening um, as he journeys through this in much more depth. So join with us at 7 p.m. at the Journey Church. We'd love to have you there. Number two, as Andy shared last week. These six teachings are like jigsaw pieces that will come together by the time that we get to Easter. And while today I will be talking about hope and the joy that lies before those who are in Christ, I don't want you to think for a second that I am dismissing or downplaying your present pain. In two weeks' time, I will be teaching into how we are to handle our sorrow, how Jesus himself invites us to lament, and he invites us to be honest with our grief. Through this series, we're wanting to show you that to be a mature Christian is to hold attention. It is the tension of hope and honesty. I've come to see in the words of the great songwriter Nick Cave, hope is optimism with a broken heart. And I'm here to talk about hope today. But even as I do that, I don't want you to suppress your sorrow. Truthfully, one of the dearest people in my life, had to say goodbye to their father last night. This isn't theory for me today. This isn't theology for me today. This is as real as it gets. And so I'm wanting to ask each of you, even as your heart breaks Be open to the possibility, even the slightest possibility, that you could be surprised by hope. Number three, I'm going to circle back to this, but it's important to say up front that while the New Testament has much to say about the future, it so often speaks in metaphor and in imagery Now, I don't know about you, but whenever I travel anywhere new, whether it's to stay at an Airbnb or to go to a new city, I will always check out photos of what that place is like so I can just kind of get a bit of a feel for it. I don't think I'm alone in that. We all kind of do that, right? As we look into the future, however, and we just want to know exactly what it will be like, what it will feel like, how we will experience it, the Bible doesn't offer us preview photos of where we're headed But it does offer us a set of signposts that point us into the direction of the future, even if the future at times is mysterious. The biblical writers, they are not overly interested in prediction, but they're interested in perception. They want to give us a clear sense of where we are headed. Or as Paul would say in 1 Corinthians 13... Now we see things imperfectly. From where we are standing, our present vantage point, we see things imperfectly. It's like puzzling reflections in a mirror, but we will see everything with perfect clarity one day. All that we see now, it is partial and it is incomplete, but then we will know everything completely, just as God, from his vantage point, always knows us completely. And yet, while the future, it is full of mystery... Not everything is gray and unknown. I believe that scripture gives us enough handholds for us to cling to. There is enough here for us to be fully assured that our future is marked by two things, the promise and the presence of God. So before I dive in, can I pray for us? Is that all right? Holy Spirit, would you come? Spirit of the resurrected Lord Jesus would you come? And I pray that as we open up your word, I pray that you would speak, and I pray that you would stir within us a deep hope. I pray that you would chip away at the fear of death that so many of us carry, and I pray that you would lead us to see the what lies ahead. It is glory, it is joy, it is peace. So guide us and lead us, I pray, Spirit of God. Amen. One day, you will give up your final breath. Then what happens? As Jesus was hanging on the cross, to his left and to his right, there were two criminals who were also being crucified. One of the criminals joined in with the crowd mocking Jesus while the other turned to him and said, Jesus, remember me whenever you come into your kingdom. To which Jesus responded, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Not tomorrow, not some indeterminate time in the future, but today you will be with me. At the moment of physical death, those who are in Christ can be assured that they will be with Jesus Immediately, in the blink of an eye, those who are in him will find themselves with him in perfect rest in the loving presence of Christ. Now, for those of you who are in a season of great grief today, I am aware that you don't want the one you love to be in a better place because you just want them to be here. I get that. And yet there is comfort to be found that they instantaneously as they died, they find themselves safe and secure in the everlasting arms of Jesus. Today, you will be with me, Jesus says. Now, for many of us growing up here and growing up through the church, that's kind of it. That's kind of what happens to us whenever we die. End of conversation, end of talk. Let's get the band up and we'll go home, right? But I want you to notice how Jesus responded to the criminal, Today, you will be with me where? In paradise. Now, we hear him say heaven, don't we? But instead, he uses the word paradise. Paradise is the space where God is enthroned in his glory. It is the soul space where the saints are at rest in his loving presence, where cries of holy, holy, holy ring loud and, true, uh, loud and true. But as soon as we hear or mishear the word heaven, we imagine this place of paradise to be the end point, to be the destination. And that simply doesn't line up with the teachings of the New Testament. Because for the writers of the New Testament, they really didn't talk much about us going to heaven when we die. But they talked a lot about resurrection. Or, in the words of Tom Wright, heaven is important, but it is not the end of the world. Paradise, or as we hear it, heaven, it is not the end of our story. Now, if I'm throwing you off a bit here, just stick with me for a few moments. Because in John 14, we find Jesus comforting his disciples. He says this, Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? You've likely heard this teaching before. Jesus promises that he will prepare a room for us or in the church that I grew up in back in the day, they would have used the word mansion a lot. And I thought, yes, Billionaire Boys Club, this is all gonna be very bougie. Whenever we hear him or hear him say that he is preparing a place for us, we think that he's preparing a place for us forever. When in fact that word room, or dwelling place, or mansion even, its original language was the word "monai," which means a temporary dwelling place. Something like an Airbnb or a hotel room. You don't live in an Airbnb. You don't settle in there forever. You spend some time there before you return back to your home. For Jesus and his apostles... As we die and as we go to be with him in paradise, we are welcomed into a place where we will not stay forever. Paradise, it is a place of temporary tranquility. It's a place of worship, of rest. It is a peaceful garden where we are with him. But it's a place where we will find ourselves waiting, waiting for a new day, a day of ultimate resurrection. I don't quite know how we've got here, But somehow we in the church have been sold a flattened and narrowed story of God. And we are told that working out our salvation comes down to one thing and one thing only. Just set yourself up so that you go to heaven whenever you die. When in fact in the story of God whenever we look at it from the very beginning in the garden. Where we find the father walking in the cool of the day in the garden with Adam and Eve here on earth. To God's glory falling from the heavenlies and filling the tabernacle here on earth. To God's presence falling from the heavenlies and filling the temple in Jerusalem here on earth. To Jesus, leaving behind the glory of heaven to take on our frame, a physical human body being filled with the power and the presence of the Spirit here on earth. To the day of Pentecost, whenever the Spirit would fall and fill his church and fill his people here on earth. Throughout the story of God, from beginning to end, we see that the central movement of God is not us going to heaven, but God coming here and dwelling with us. Let your kingdom come and let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus taught us to pray and also taught us to live. So much so that in the final chapters of our story, we read this from Revelation 21. The joy of paradise is that we will be with him instantly, held firmly in the conscious and loving presence of God. And yet that is not the end of the story. Friends, hear me. There is life after death, but Christianity offers us a broader, fuller story. It is the story of a life after life after death. Because the whole of creation and even our own bodies, they are groaning for a day, a day of ultimate resurrection. There is a day coming whenever heaven will root itself here. a day whenever we shall return back here, a day where for all time God will dwell here, a day whenever creation is going to be remade, whenever all that is evil will deface all that is evil and defaces and distorts will be dealt with. This is a day whenever this world will be set aright, a day whenever Eden will be restored, a day whenever all of the broken and dislocated parts of the universe, people, things, animals and atoms will get properly fixed and fit together in vibrant harmony, a day whenever all of the sad things are going to come untrue, a day whenever all shall be well. I'm talking about the day whenever we will take in our first breaths in new creation. The ultimate hope for the Christian is that for all time, we will live and move and have our being here on earth in a place where all things have been made new. New creation isn't a copy or a substitute or a replacement of this place, but it is a return back to the way things were always set to be. In the words of Tim Keller, Christianity promises not only a spirit-only future, like the future in paradise, the soul space, but a renewed heavens and earth. A perfected material world from which all suffering and tears, disease, evil, injustice and death has been eliminated. Our future is not an immaterial one. We're not going to float around in the kingdom of God like ghosts. We're going to walk and eat and hug and be hugged. We're going to love And we're going to sing because we're going to have vocal cords. And I'm putting in a request that it sounds like at least one of the tools. And we will do this in degrees of glory, excellence and satisfaction, beauty and power that we cannot imagine. Get this, we are going to eat and drink with the Son of Man. And this is the final defeat of death. It's not merely a consolation in heaven for the material life that we have lost. It is a restoration of that whole life. It's getting the love and the body, the mind, the being that we have always longed for and while i can't even begin to fathom what it will look like feel like to live in a world that is being made new where we get to dwell and eat and drink with the resurrection and the life of this i am completely assured as we look out over new creation our heart cry our new birth cry will be man this is very very good let me catch you up If immediately after physical death we enter the soul space of paradise and then on the day of redemption we join God in making his home here in a perfected physical world where heaven and earth are forever one, the writers of the New Testament want us to see that what is true of the entire cosmos, what is true of everything in creation will also be true of us. Because we will live in a perfected physical body. A body that has been transformed by resurrection. Let me show you what I mean. Can you turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15? 1 Corinthians 15 is really, its it's, it's, Paul just wants to get it all into one chapter. Everything around the resurrection. I'd really encourage you to read through this throughout this week. But in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 20, Paul says this, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Paul is saying here that Jesus is not only raised from the dead, but he is also the first human to be resurrected. And to describe that, he uses a farming term, a harvest term, the term first fruits. So, the arrival of a crop's first fruits, it wouldn't just be it. You, just, you don't just get the first fruits and then that's it, kind of over. But the first fruits would always signal that there is more of the same to come. And so, on the day of his resurrection, we find Jesus inhabiting a renewed body. It's not a brand new body. It's also not the same body as before, but it is if the material of Jesus's original body have been transformed. Let me explain what I mean by that. Ours, after he rises from the dead, Jesus is walking alongside two of his disciples. He spent three years with these fellas, but they not once recognized him on the journey towards Emmaus. And yet these two disciples, they invite this seeming stranger into the place that they're staying. And so Jesus enters in again unrecognized, but he goes and he lifts some bread, he breaks it. And as soon as he breaks the bread, all of the disciples recognize that it is him. Jesus is the first to inhabit a resurrection body. There is something different, something new, something unrecognizable about him. And yet at exactly the same time, they know for sure that it is him. Later on, there's this beautiful interaction where Jesus is with one of the disciples who is deconstructing his faith, Thomas. And we find that Jesus, even though he is in a new kind of physical body, he still bears the wounds and the scars of his crucifixion. There is something of what is past that still lasts right the way through resurrection. The truth is, is that Jesus, the human Jesus, even though he is in paradise right now, he dwells there in a resurrected physical body. Still bearing what John Wesley would call the dear tokens of his passion. We see this. At his ascension, whenever he rises into the heavenlies, and the angels say to the disciples, this same Jesus who has been taken from you in heaven will come back in the same way that you have seen him go into heaven. But what does that all mean for us? But 1 John 3 says this, Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we, have, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, We shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. We'll be like him. I will one day bear the image of Jesus completely. In new creation, you will look at me, and yeah, you'll see me, but you'll see him. That is the purpose, that is what our lives are set upon. That is why the conversations of discipleship and spiritual formation are really, really important because that is where we are headed. We just get to jump on it right now. We get to become more like Jesus as we open ourselves up to the Spirit's work of making us more like him. Being like him is what it is all about. Jesus is like the first fruits. He's like the prototype. Just as he was raised, so too we will follow and we will be raised just like him. We will take on the same kind of body that we see Jesus inhabiting following his resurrection. And Paul goes on in 1 Corinthians 15 to give us a few more clues about what this will be like. In verse 37, he speaks of a seed being planted into the ground. But in verse 42, he says this, So it will be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown like a seed into the ground, it is perishable, but it is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, but it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. Paul really wants us to know that our resurrection bodies, they find their source material within our actual bodies. Like our physical here, I know it looks as if I forgot my keys, but you know what I mean? Our actual bodies here and now. Like just as you would plant a seed into the ground and a flower springs up, so our physical bodies are like a seed that are planted and through resurrection we experience transformation into a flower resurrection doesn't say hey just forget about the seed and let's just stick a new flower into the ground it is the rising of a flower from a seed it is like a metamorphosis of a caterpillar into a butterfly going through the chrysalis there is something of the old that lives on but there's something new that emerges and the best word to describe what that is about is transformation Within your perfected physical and spiritual body, you will at once resemble you, but also be completely new. And this new body, it will be more solid, more whole, more real, more substantial than our present ones. So much so that we can say that right now, we are a mere shadow. Not of our former selves, but of our future selves. These bodies They will bear no sickness, no illness. There will be no depression in these bodies, no crippling anxiety, no chronic pain. There will be no Alzheimer's and there will be no more cancer. Only wholeness, only perfection. It will be the coming together of the image of Jesus and our truest selves. And I know that I'm straying into mystery here because the body that dies is the body that rises. But I want to just mention the verses, verse 53 to 55. Because this body, it is immortal. We will never die in these bodies. Or as Paul says... Verse 54 When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable, notice that the perishable isn't thrown away, it's just clothed with something new, and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? Friends, this is the summit of our hope. Paradise is just the beginning. But it all begins with Jesus' own resurrection because we're going to rise like him and with him. As Paul says in Colossians 3 when Christ appears, who is your life, whenever he appears, then you will appear with him in glory. Or in the words of C.S. Lewis, He will take the feeblest and filthy of us. I don't know why he uses the word filthiest, but anyway. He will make the feeblest and filthiest of us into a dazzling, radiant, immortal creature. Pulsating all through with such energy and joy and wisdom and love that we cannot now imagine. A bright stainless mirror which reflects back to God perfectly his own boundless power and delight and goodness. The process will be long and in parts painful. But friends, this is what we are in for. Nothing, nothing, nothing less. Now, I wanted to walk us through all of that. And again, I've only been able to scratch the surface here, but I guess I wanted to do that because I wanted to show you the New Testament's vision of resurrection. Because, man, there's just layers upon layers to it. There is a richness and a depth that is far more comprehensive and way more compelling compared to the kind of flattened and narrowed perspective of life after death that I, and maybe you, grew up with if you grew up around here. But I've come to see that resurrection, it is so robust that it is possible for you to rest the weight of your life and your death upon it. And its hope will carry you through. As I wrap up, I just want to share just a few thoughts with you before we come into land. In the past 15 minutes, I've talked about three things. I've talked about paradise. I've talked about new creation. And I've talked about the resurrection body. And as I've unpacked each of them, I've shared a couple of verses. But in each of these verses, they've all kind of said the same thing. Whenever we talked about paradise, I talked about the interaction on the cross where Jesus says, Today you will be with me in paradise. Whenever we talked about new creation, I talked from Revelation 21. Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. A few moments ago, I talked from Colossians 3 about the resurrection body. When Christ appears, who is your life, then you will appear with him in glory. Do you see? Do you see the word do you see the word with with me with them with him friends at every stage of the story from this present moment to the day of resurrection at every stage the one who promises that he will never leave us nor never forsake us he is with us present with us every single step of the way Friends, I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither the present nor the future, any powers, neither height or depth or anything else in creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Every step of the story from this moment to its unending conclusion is marked by the witness of Jesus. Therefore, in the words of Martin Lloyd-Jones, and he, if he was writing now, would use more gender-inclusive language, but you know what I mean. So the fear of death is gone. The fear of death is gone because of the witness of Jesus. He does not object to going because he knows exactly where he is going, but especially to whom he is going. As you look ahead to the reality of resurrection, we see that Jesus is close to us every step of the way. But we also see that he is like a forerunner. He's like an elder brother. Everything that lies ahead of us, he has gone there himself first. Jesus will never lead us into something that he has not faced himself. Death, resurrection, paradise, a new body. Like Jesus has faced it all. He's not just sat on the sidelines waiting for what will happen. No, Jesus has been in the thick of the action. He is like the captain on the field, guiding us through everything that lies before us. Jesus never wants any of his children to face anything alone. And so he always goes first. And he has faced it all. He will lead us through death into life eternal Gently whispering to us, "I've been here before. I know the way ahead. No lie. Tamare. Do not be afraid." Despite the mystery, and despite our craving for certainty, wanting to know exactly how everything will be and feel, we can trust. Jesus he is the resurrection and the life and we can place our hope in the truth that he is leading us we need not dread death or be filled with trepidation because in the words of the psalmist because this God is our God forever and ever he will be our guide to the very end so often, I don't know if it's just me, but I'm, I'm going to guess that some of you also find yourself in a similar position. I just crave certainty. I want to know exactly how things will play out. I want to know how the future is going to pan out. And yet, Jesus doesn't invite us into a life that is marked by certainty, but he invites us into a life that is marked by trust. Those are two very, very different things. We long for certainty. We long for like this instruction manual of, okay, like step one is going to be like this. Step two is going to be like this. But Jesus, he invites us into something deeper. Something that will transform your life. And it's trust. Brennan Manning used to say that childlike surrender in trust is the defining spirit of authentic discipleship. Trusting Jesus. Or to use a good old reform term. Learning to have blessed assurance that Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine, right? Jesus doesn't want you to be formed into the way of certainty, but he wants you to be formed into the way of trust, where you're able to place the weight of your life and the weight of your death upon him. Because in him, we find hope. The kind of hope that shapes us into eternal optimists. Now again, just to name, I know that some of you today are carrying deep pain, finding yourself in a season of grief. And I don't want you to hear everything I've said is just kind of naive triumphalism. Listen, I am not up for that crack at all. I just... That's not my approach whenever it comes to faith and spirituality and the church and following Jesus. I've got no time for triumphalism. Let's brush everything under the carpet. Everything's great all the time. That's not what this is about. But friends, everything that I've said, it is not naive. It's as real as it gets. The hope and the promise of the presence of Jesus throughout our future, that is the gospel. That is what this is all about. Death is not all that there is. Death is the gateway into resurrection life. And for those of us who follow Jesus, he invites us to see that death is not something to run away from. In fact, it is actually more like a homecoming. As he was facing his own physical death, the famous pastor from Chicago, D.L. Moody, said this. Pretty soon, you're going to read in the Chicago papers that Dwight Moody is dead. Don't you believe it? I will be more alive than I am right now. To enter into God's good future means that we will become more human, more ourselves, more real, more alive, and more at home than we could ever be here and now. Death is not the end of things. It is only merely the beginning of things. For those of us who are in Christ, death is not setting off into darkened, uncharted waters, but it is entering into a peaceful harbor. It is the Father running towards us, embracing us, welcoming us home for the feast. Or in the words of Jewel, I don't think anybody's ever quoted a unicorn here before, but let me go for it. Jewel the unicorn, as he arrives into real Narnia, I have come home at last. This is my real country. I belong here. This is the land that I have been looking for all my life. Friends, resurrection is our real country. And Jesus, he is leading us there all the way home. There is so much more that I could say. But I guess I've come here today simply to say two things. Up ahead, there is hope. And up ahead is your home. Because here on a renewed earth with resurrection bodies that resemble Jesus in the words of Paul from 1 Thessalonians 4. We will be with the Lord forever. As Dietrich Bonhoeffer said amen and closed out a short worship service in one of the cells of the Flossenberg concentration camp. Two men in civilian clothes, they barged through the door and shouted, Prisoner Bonhoeffer, get ready to come with us. The small crowd in the room, they knew what those words come with us meant. His death. And so Bonhoeffer, in front of the worshipers and in front of his executioners, defiantly And full of hope. Full of resurrection hope. Preached his last sermon. A sermon of ten words. This. Is the end. For me. The beginning. Of life. Friends if you're able. Can I invite you to stand with me. Can I invite the band up. We're going to. Do what we always do, we're gonna create some space for us to sing and to minister to one another. But as the band just gets set up, why don't you just take a moment? And why don't you just close your eyes just to help you kind of focus and take a couple of breaths in and out so that you're here and nowhere else. And why don't you just begin to lift your heart and your soul and your hope to Jesus? why don't you just begin to pray just within yourself in the stillness of this moment and just thank him for his faithfulness. Thank him that this is the truth of our story. Thank him for the depth of it. Thank him for transformation. Thank him for life. Thank him that he went first. Thank him that he'll never leave you and that he'll never forsake you. Thank him that the sense of fear that we may have carried or that generations of our families may have carried might be slowly dissipating away. going to lead us in a song that just speaks unashamedly about the story of resurrection. And I guess I want to invite us to sing these words today because you've heard me kind of monologue for a bit about resurrection today, but I guess I don't want you to just hear about resurrection. I want to call you to sing resurrection, to put words To the truth of resurrection. So much so that even in this moment, that as we worship Jesus, that he would, as he always does, inhabit the praise of his people. And in a wonderful turn of events, that through us worshiping him and glorifying him, he would also meet us where we are and he would transform us and shape us by his spirit. That as we sing resurrection, that these words, they would become our story, the truest story of which we live. These words, they would become our anthem, our anthem of hope, despite what we are facing right now, despite what lies ahead, that this story, this song, this anthem would be one of assurance, of trust, of following Jesus all the way home. And so, Spirit of God, Spirit of the resurrected Lord Jesus, as we worship you in this moment, would you allow your hope to rise within us? I pray that the resurrection wouldn't just be something that we hear about, but it would become our story, our song, our anthem. Lead us, Lord Jesus, I pray. Amen. Let's worship Jesus together.